the theme for the evening talk is uh, space and freedom. <clears throat> Sometimes when we are traveling, particularly particularly by uh, air, we find ourselves, I find myself, looking out of the, the plane window and on a clear day one looks down below and we pa one passes over the various towns and cities, which I've often noticed from, from the air seems so much more well-planned and orderly yeah. than when you're actually down there below. And, and simply when one is flying over towns and uh, villages, one also notices the, the space between human settlements. <coughs> and sometimes, particularly I think flying over North America or over Australia, but even in Asia and Europe too, the often seems to me to be a tremendous amount of space down below, far more than what we seem to get the impression of in spite of five, six billion people who now uh, inhabit the earth. And it occurred to me that sometimes the way that we live and sometimes rather cramped up together, and I just commented to Peggy and Norman that I had uh, made a remark in a piece of writing that sometimes the city life and the congestion of city life it can appear a little bit like a a huge refugee camps of bed sitters and all the congestion which which is there <coughs> and sometimes we have this view this picture this image of lack of space and a lot of space and we notice that not only perhaps at the general level, but also in our day-to-day -day lives. And we have come, as a, individually, as a, almost as a species as well, to highly prize space, to really have a, an appreciation and an acknowledgement for having space in our lives. And certainly in the last generation, if not before, there is quite a considerable uh, quest to find space in our lives. And sometimes what we have done, of course, in that, in the need and the wish to find greater space, we have tied it up to economic factors. And I don't want to go into all of that this evening, but we think if I'm going to find space, it means I've got to buy a bigger place with bigger rooms, and that would give me more space or I have to move out in the country and buy an acre or two. And these thoughts very easily and understandably pass through. But forgetting the external factors for a moment, it's the internal wish, the internal need. And what is noticeable and what does occur, that even when there are the resources, economic resources, and the possibilities, of actually finding greater space outwardly, it doesn't mean to say obviously that that provides for us greater space inwardly. And 
we have a, a, a tendency, I think, a, a pattern as hu human beings to imagine that if we get it right outwardly, if we get what we want in the, out in the outer, that somehow that will suffice and that will replace, if not negate, the absence of space inwardly. So we tend to use the outer to, as a hope, as a wish, to fulfill inner. And certainly there is a correlation, of course, between inner and outer. And certainly the circumstances which are, we are surrounded by certainly do affect us there. But if we sometimes have a belief that getting the way we want outwardly is really the provision for the inner, then I think we're on a very difficult track, a very difficult belief structure and system. So there's the, the wish and the need for space. And yet it seems at times in our life we kind of find our way of relating to life in which we, we develop or we bring up a perception in I don't have enough space. I, my mind and my life, therefore, is so occupied with whatever it is and as a way of dealing with this state of occupation I desperately yearn to be unoccupied. So our life becomes in a way a division and that division shows itself conceptually sometimes as language I'm sorry, as language, as work and leisure. And we have kind of fragmented, and this is, a, I think, a fairly recent historical event, in fact. We, we've fragmented. Work means being occupied. Leisure <coughs> is being unoccupied. Work is being involved. Leisure is being uninvolved, which means finding space. So if I'm caught up in the absence of space, if I feel that's what I'm caught up in, then I'm going to have to find ways to get more space. And so, not surprisingly, when we choose to go on holiday, the most frequent places that we will choose to go to is the place which provides the most space. We go to the mountains, we go to the lake, we go to the ocean, we go to the countryside, we go to where there's the absence of what occupies me. And of course there then comes about growing pressure in our life to secure more holiday, more space. That sense of finding space does, in practical terms, contribute to relaxation, to peacefulness, to harmony, and all those virtues and blessings, and does in realistic terms, help us to cope with a life which we perceive, because it's not a fact really, but we perceive as the lack of space. So we're saying, can we in a way revolutionise our way of relating <coughs> to our daily events? Is it possible to live and discover an unoccupied life? Therefore, if, if there's the potential, and I say there is for all of us, no matter who we are and what we do, 
If there is the potential for an unoccupied life and to discover what that is, that means that the structure of thinking and the division, work and leisure, doing and not doing, efforting and effortlessness, that structure there which holds that divided world together will collapse. Being in the city and working and being on holiday in the countryside, <coughs> there won't be a, subst a substantial difference to our sense of our well-being. Just the movement and appreciation, of course. But it's not using one in terms of recovering from the other. So the relationship changes utterly. What would it be to find and live in an unoccupied way? Sometimes, we don't, of course, in physical terms, really have to move away from to find that sense of space. Occasionally, even in the midst of uh, the most busy life, occupied, so-called occupied life, sometimes we just turn our eyes, even in the city, just to above. And we look up in the night sky as we move out of the office or factory or workplace, wherever we work, and just look up and one sees it's actually life in the, garden. the vastness and in the extent of it is actually largely unoccupied it's a peculiar thing it's a largely unoccupied universe and somehow or other this largely unoccupied universe we have forgotten it and we have settled on occupation of being occupied. And so when we fly in the aeroplane, when we are um, out in the countryside here, one has a sense of the vastness and the space which is there. And once the thought occurred to me, flying over from A to B, that if a kind of species from another planet came down to to Earth and had a look at Earth, I wonder which kind of species they think was the most advanced. And, and they had no absolutely no idea. And I think they would probably um, um, probably go for the whales <coughs> and their sisters and brothers and sisters in the same family of the dolphins. They see them moving freely through the vast space of the ocean and see the, 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 the lovely day-long days and days of courting and playfulness that take place, see them dancing through the water, sending messages for, for nautical miles and miles to each other, and a kind of expensive, playful life in this huge ocean, and then all these little fishes which eat up, feed, up, feed off them and providing for them. I think this is an extraordinarily advanced species. And then they would come to the earth and they would look at human beings and think, what a strange tribe this lot is. <laughs> Busy hurrying here and there, living in a, a mechanical world. Even the farmers have lost touch with the earth. They spend their day in these huge tractors there with earphones on and wearing gloves. No contact with the earth anymore, and yet they're called farmers. 
And, and, and you'll see you'll think, what a strange lot, cramped up together as we are, etc., etc. So there's sometimes when we have to be out of perception of things, it seems a rather strange, uh, peculiar situation. And then sometimes we find ourselves, as I've spoken previously in the material world, of filling up the space, less and less space in our homes. And how one only has to turn the clock back, you know, a generation. One only has to see some of these old movies which some of us delight in from the 50s and the 40s and the 30s. And one of the things that you notice in the homes, in fact, is how little there is in it. There are very few items. And when some of us look at our homes today, we think, what happened? <laughs> how come we've accumulated so much? And we, it's as though we can hardly put our hand out without touching a possession. And think of all the... I don't want to go on about this, but think about... <laughs> I will, though. <laughs> and all the cleaning and the dusting and all the dirt, the dirt, the dirt, the dirt. So there, somehow, it seems like in some way or other, in occupation, in being occupied with, we lose the sense of space, and then we have to find some alternative to being occupied and that generates a whole industry of movement. So what kind of, what would it mean to find space? So I think, first of all, to find space, one has to use, at least initially, the resources which are available to us, and the initial resources, because being unoccupied and liberation are synonymous terms, is the resources of eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch. And through our five senses, which provides uh, the world of data, the world of impression and information which we digest and respond to, that sometimes we are forgetting, we are neglecting with our eyes and our ears to acknowledge what is unoccupied. We can't, as it were, see inwardly, I, this physical I, we can't see what is not something. It's like we've, we've, we've got so attracted to something through uh, attraction or aversion, whatever the form, that we can't see what is not something. Like space itself, like ordinary tan tangible space almost between one object and the other. So our world, our occupied world, is a, seems to be a constant movement from, as we talk a lot about, one thing to the other. And that thing, one thing to the other, may be an activity through a role. It may be through uh, particular uh, tasks, whatever, which we lay hands on, so to speak. Or it may be from one idea to another. Whether it's the idea or the manifestation in some role or thingness, we, as it were, get contracted into that. And we begin to construct out of that this world of things, 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 and then and consciousness gets filled up with them. Filled up. And when that being filled up becomes such a pressure, one has to do something about it. One has to do what? One has to attempt to free oneself from being occupied. And we're pushed and pulled as human beings between one and the other. 
And what we notice where we are working with people, friends, close ones, that the capacity to be unoccupied varies considerably from one person to another. The capacity, the relevant ability of one person. So in a close situation with regard to space, psychological space, and the Buddha has spoken of this psychological space, of finding space, many, many times the word is akasha, this, this finding of space. Give many passages in the text which refer to its significance. That one person, we look at somebody that we know who is close to us, and we see she or he seems to be very, very occupied, constantly needing to be occupied. And sometimes with the attraction, with that being occupied, is not because of the thing in itself, but perhaps that attraction is an avoidance to being unoccupied. To be without the mind full of things and issues and ideas, whatever, seems and appears threatening. So some people are in doing in order not to be doing, in order to steer from not doing. Sometimes when there is a transition from being occupied to being conventionally unoccupied, dropping things, letting go of things, that transition can be genuinely very difficult. Because all the patterns and the anxieties and the tendencies to keep one's life full rather than stop or rather than relax is so strong that when one isn't doing it, it, it lets, as it were, what's latent breathe through us. And one can go through quite some waves. And it's not surprising that the resistance level is so strong. To keep occupied, to keep going, keep going, because in a way I'm afraid of what it would be not to. Another person's capacity varies, again, considerably. So sometimes people get, in our case, you're doing too much. Why are you so occupied? Why are you so busy? Why can't you let go? Oh, we do it with, the, with somebody that's close to us. So I say, firstly, in practical terms, the recognition of space in our life through the, any of the five senses or all of the five senses is vital communication. Can we let space, we see the objects, but we see the space, even in a room, like this, where there's, whatever there are, 30 of us uh, here this evening, in a room like this, there's still, as we see, plenty of space. Can we notice that space? Can we feel that space? Can we sense, sense all of that space? And that space, the sense of that space, allows the so-called occupied world, the occupants, to be absorbed into the space. And that sense of being absorbed into the space highlights through consciousness and through the eyes and the ears this expansive sense. 
And many, many situations in our life where the application of space is very, very important. Then, I say, with our occupied mind, we, of course, in a way, much of the meditation process is, a, in a way, is simply not being indulging in so much occupation. Then we look, as we were discussing this afternoon, we look at role. One of the teaching, one of the major themes of these teachings, I said again and again, is the importance and the value of seeing change. Now one of the great, I think, uh, lovely things about the tradition, the Buddhist tradition, is that it acknowledges in our everyday world the place and the actuality, the everyday world of change. One of the changes is if with regard to role, with regard to ego and self and I and my and role in life, all belong together. That means that there are times when the, clearly the role is at work. That role is at work becomes more substantial to the degree the more that one is occupied. The feeling occupied and caught in being occupied means that the role becomes more something, the self becomes more something, the ego becomes more something, and there's a building up. So the degree that we're caught up in some <coughs> things is the degree that ego builds itself up. And one has a situation, then there's a room for resistance, conflict, fear, anxiety, withdrawal, or whatever. One grabs the other. Grabbing of the object grabs the role. Grabbing of the role grabs the object. So what way, one of the ways that that can loosen for us is to acknowledge well inside of ourselves when the role stops, as we mentioned earlier. It, when it stops, when one walks out of the school, the university, the factory, the office, the construction site, whatever it might be, in the walking out of that, it, one walks out of the role. So that, that the sense of space in the immediacy of change of role, dropping of role, is available to us. So in that begins to reduce, as it were, the time gap through the continuity of idea. I've got this job, I've got this work, I've got this responsibility, I've got this parenting, now I'm going to have a break from it, now I'm going to go on a retreat, now I'm going to go in the countryside. That's giving an excessive degree of continuity to our role. We can't see the rise and the fall of the role in the day itself. And we're saying, let's bring our, as much clarity and awareness so that we see the birth and death of roles. And we know when it's arisen, we know when it's at work, and we know when it's not at work, and therefore there is no self in there's, when there's no role. And in space can come. There's an availability of the space because one is no role, no self, no occupation.
in the actual activity itself, in the actual activity, often, again, we can't see space. We just can't see space. And to some degree, the world itself, particularly as many of you are here and all of us here have to, day to day in our daily lives, deal with other people. The closer we are to other people, meaning the closer we, they are to us, we are to them, the closer that they matter to us through our roles, it would seem at times the closer we are, with our, maybe with our concern and our love and our compassion, now connection, it would seem at times the closer we are, the less space. And when it feels like we're so close, like hand, palm of the hand in front of the eyes, if you can't see anything, can't see any space because we got so close to this person, we we love and care for, we can't, that's all we can see, and we feel completely occupied by that person's life. So that very easily brings out of us a uh, sometimes a rebellion or if it doesn't bring rebellion it brings dependency. I can't imagine my life without this person because the person got so close. So sometimes it brings <coughs> dependency, sometimes it brings withdrawal. It says something about our inability to perceive space. <coughs> to see the space and using the analogy around the hand. In a situation where we are working closely with people, people come to us, that person, persons, has need from us, normal human needs, from a meeting in the street, to a counselling session, to giving some teaching, in whatever form, to working and cooperating in our roles, whatever it, whatever it might be. In all of that, the challenge is for us, can I in that see, at least initially, the space around the person? No matter how big the person is, they're not going to reach up to the moon. And their eyes are not going, and their arms are not going to encompass the earth, you know, it, it, it's not a, uh, a he-man version that we're dealing with. That in the contact with the person, love person, can I actually sense the space around the person? Can I begin to feel that? Can I, in the communication, when the person is talking to me, if I'm totally receptive, that means I have actually space from the potency of my conditioning, which occupies the inner space, a space which total listening allows, that means that when I'm actually hearing, not only will I see and acknowledge the space around the person, while talking, I'll, I'll see the space as much as I see the form. I'll be receptive to it because I'm not holding onto the past and that image and that space. And in the very words which have been communicated, whatever the language, tone, concerned or whatever, I'll know the space of the words. I know that language and communication is, in a way, Space taking a formation. Space unfolding in this ex extraordinary mystery, mystery of language. 
communication. It's like, what is it? There's a movement, there's something here, here, here. And it, and it, and it takes formation which none of us can see. And it generates itself over. There's a certain comprehension of that process in the relationship which takes place. And I'll sense the space that goes with it. With the language. The language communicates the space in a somewhat mysterious, strange way. If that be begins, right, look at that interest, that practice, that uh, sense, begin to sense that. Because I'm interested in, in sensing an unoccupied liberation, an unoccupied way of being. Then my issues about finding space in my life won't have so much significance for me because I'm finding it through the everyday. <coughs> I'm really taking an interest in that sense of space. I'm really applying it in areas where I think I'm very occupied. And I imagine, and I believe, and I've generated the pattern, like many other people, of being very occupied. Let's say, hey, I don't actually have to live and be very occupied. <coughs> and in fact, the less occupied I am as a human being, whoever the I is, whoever, the less occupied I am, the more affected I will be. The more capacity I have if I'm not occupied. So there's the, the outer expressions of space. First example, moving away from a situation, one needs space. <coughs> there's appropriateness, of course, to that. A second expression of finding space is seeing the end of a role in the day, in the time, when that ends, when that contact ends, the role ends. In the dissolution of the role, one sees the death of the role there, there is space. N recognizing that space, the awareness of that space. And going more deeply into it, that interest, can I discover the space when I'm in the role? When, it, when I'm actually functioning, can it be unoccupied? Then one takes it even a step further and more subtly. Is not only are we dealing with our world around us, of course, but also we're dealing with what we call our inner world. And in a way, you and I, it's not like uh, there is one world. I long since stopped believing that there is one, one world and even the traditions which has got a peculiar range of ideas, it seems to me, and sometimes odd cosmologies about things, but there's a kind of acknowledgement of the varieties of worlds which we live in and move in. And some of them are very at home for us, and others are very strange and familiar, and we're moving in and out of these worlds, inwardly, outwardly, and there's no world which, which, which we can say, I feel, this is the only real world, this is the authentic world who is going to <coughs> be so brave as to make such a 
a, a claim, <coughs> and it's a, uh, a delight these days that even our scientific friends are coming more and more to the view that they do, of course, have a legitimate perspective on the nature of things, but there's more and more an appreciation that legitimate perspective is coming from a perspective. It's a way of conceiving how things are, and therefore not quite this is the way things are. That kind of shift is extremely liberating for the scientists as well as for us. And similarly with religion, it's had its view, it's got certain legitimate views on uh, life and on the processes of life and those views once was the truth. Now it's a little bit more cautious. Some are not, of course, we know that, we know that they're, they're uh, you know, unshakable in their enthusiasm for their dogma. But sometimes we feel oh, that is a particular view on things. And again, when with ourselves, looking at the space outwardly, then we see what is space inwardly? What is it to be unoccupied? So if to be unoccupied in a, in a, a spiritual sense, in a, in a, a, a liberating spiritual meaning, liberating sense, one way of course is that there is a consciousness which is expansive, which isn't taking up any object, anything, since a thing doesn't exist by itself, but interrelated, conditioned, supported by everything else. So in the days of the meditations here, we've had, we might describe, a gradual expansion of the field of awareness to include more and more without grasping it. We began with the breath, from the breath to the body, from the body to the sound, to the sound to the mental states, and then, as Norman gave in the instructions this morning, not actually taking up anything in particular, which is a way, another way of saying, in the language this evening, that giving space to everything to occur. Giving space. So sometimes we need to be focused on the particular, if we are, as I said earlier, let's see the space around the particular. Even when we've got the breath coming and going, there's a sense of space around the breath. When we turn to the pain in the knee, pain in the back, there's a certain space around that. When we listen to a sound, the sound comes and goes, and there's a certain space around that. More deep awareness, of course, sees the space right through it. And therefore nothing is as substantial as we think it to be, as we imagine to be, and that deepens our intimacies and our receptivities. But then we ask, what is it with regard to liberation? What is it to be a, a free human being, a liberated human being, therefore not stuck, not occupied, not caught in things? And, all, and therefore the notions of things, including the thing we have about birth and death. In that unoccupiedness, in all those uh, ways I was just speaking, 
What would it mean? So-called inwardly, so-called because there's no inner really except the way we think. So-called inwardly, what would that be? So sometimes that show it shows itself in that choiceless awareness which we spoke we spoke of. Not moving towards anything. Life is just revealing itself. We feel a harmony and integration with that. Sometimes <coughs> that comes through one's own development as a human being. Sometimes that comes quite spontaneously. We just in a meditation, just in the nature, we're just at home in the city looking up at the the night sky, just looking, just experiencing life, and we're completely unoccupied, with no fear, no agitation, no restlessness, and the response to that unoccupied state of being is genuine, genuine, heartfelt, unashamed appreciation and joy. Genuine appreciation comes spontaneously, or as they would say in the East, this ananda, this joy, comes effortlessly in an unoccupied state of being, which we love, we love. Sometimes the only reminders we actually get of this is being on the holiday, which is a pity, because that might mean 50 weeks a year, no appreciation, two weeks a year, a little bit, if the kids were only shut up. <laughs> So it's saying, is, is it possible in our relationship, looking at all the things so that we're being, we're not avoiding anything, we're not seeing anything as a denying the opportunity for liberation, such, what would it be? So one expression I just mentioned, one expression is with regard to being unoccupied in that choiceless way, choicelessly appreciative of all that reveals. The discovery and what the teachings say, which are called uh, emptiness in a beautiful way, nothing unpleasant, is that that choicelessness, that freedom from choice, that beyondness in the immediacy of things, can express itself in the point of view, in the language, in the communication. Something goes over with it, which is more vast, like space, than the point of view. And you and I know very, very well, inside of ourselves and outside, we can listen to somebody. Two people can be saying exactly the same thing, same content, same words, same sentence construction, grammar, syntax, etc., the whole package. And one listens, and one's heart of hearts says, one person is, has no space around this, occupied with this, pressure on this, making something substance of this, and the other person is speaking, same theme, same issue, same concern, same mm, manifestation, and one senses, as we do with ourselves as well, a great deal of space around it. We're saying, well, we're saying, Liberation in life is liberation which accommodates and embraces all circumstances and therefore the heart and the mind which is choiceless in those delightful moments and periods when that's available and things occurring for us, but 
nothing hinders liberation, nothing hinders this extraordinary expensiveness or spaciousness because it's just as available and its discovery and its joyfulness right in the midst of the most full-on, totally attentive one-to-one group meeting or totally attentive in doing the accounts or doing the washing up or dealing with a crisis or whatever. Nothing of this world has the power to take away this liberation, this unoccupied or choiceless way of being. This is always a beautiful, precious thing of (coughs) wonder and mystery which is accessible to us. Therefore, the mental constructions of work and leisure, being at home and being on retreat, being indoors and being outdoors, occupied, not occupied, in a way, it's a kind of social fiction. Something that we, we, through repetition, have made much of. And then it can be work and unemployment, work and retirement. The differences are not that way if we're connecting with space. If we're sensing space in life and looking with interest. And in in all of that, in that spaciousness, as the Buddha's point out, there's a key to a wonderful freedom and liberation in life, which is the quintessence of all the teachings. Of such that nothing can take it away any more than the sun only knows one nature, and that is its nature is to give light and to shine. May all beings look into life. May all beings look into the nature of things. May all beings abide joyfully. Let's have a couple of quiet minutes, shall we? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.